WordPress is a free and open-source content management system, or CMS, written in PHP. Since its release in 2003, WordPress has become ubiquitous on the web, and it's estimated that roughly 60 million websites use WordPress as a CMS. However, despite its popularity, WordPress has limitations in its design. WordPress sites are dynamic, and the front and back end are tightly coupled. A dynamic full-stack application can be used when handling complex functionality, but also slows down the site and opens up security vulnerabilities. Zeev Saraski is an expert in PHP. He's also the CTO of Stratic, which is a static site generator and hosting platform that specializes in converting WordPress sites into static architectures. Today's show focuses on PHP, but also has some discussion of WordPress architecture. Zeev joins the show to talk about the place of PHP in modern web development and how his company Stratic helps WordPress developers build modern, fast, and secure websites. Zev, welcome to the show. Hi, good to be on board. You were a very early PHP programmer, and I'd love for you to take me back to the early days of PHP. What were the goals that the language set out to accomplish? So, yeah, we're talking the late 90s, and basically then there were not too many solutions for creating uh, dynamic web applications. The goal back then was to create a, a language that is really simple and allows you to create dynamic web applications in, you know, in a pretty straightforward way without too much complexity and to really take away not just the complexity in the language syntax, but also in setting up a back-end solution. When I'm talking, by the way, about dynamic, we're in 2020, <laughs> a long time after it. So I'm not talking about the, the more modern meaning of the word dynamic, uh, where we typically talk about rich client side. I'm talking about something which is simply more advanced than just plain static HTML, where you have some sort of uh, logic running in the app, doing some calculations or communicating with a database and so on. And the goal of PHP was to essentially enable that kind of these kinds of apps and do it without the complexity that was typically associated with it. What were some of the early design decisions around PHP that really influenced how the language has ended up? That's an interesting question. So I, I have to admit, PHP was a language that evolved a lot more so than you know was designed. Uh, I got involved with PHP when actually PHP 2.0 already existed. And very little design uh, has gone into PHP 2. Uh, there were a lot of kind of mistakes that were made or things that were just kind of made sense at a time when, you know, it was one person creating a solution that uh, originally was all about suiting his own needs. And when we created PHP 3, when Andy Gutmans, my colleague back then, and, and myself created the foundation for PHP 3, we actually didn't question any, almost any of the fundamentals of PHP 2. And uh, we kind of copied most of them verbatim, and we ended up kind of replicating the same mistakes and also adding some of our own. And since then, for a long time, for several years at least, PHP simply evolved. The goals, like I mentioned before, was really about simplicity. We took, uh, we wanted to create a language that would uh, be simple to use, would be a kind of similar to a scripting language version of C. Both uh, all of us essentially in the development team had C background, and we 
we on one hand loved C, but on the other hand, it was quite obvious that uh, it was the wrong language for the job as far as the web is concerned. I mean, even though I do have some uh, some background in developing C and even C++ CGI's, it's not something that I think anyone should do or should have done for that matter. And we wanted to bring on one hand the, the kind of the power of the language, but at the same time make it available to end users that don't need to learn the complexities of C, memory management and typing and all that. So Maybe when we talk about design decisions, the ones that Wood made early on, it was maybe the main design decision was to create a loosely typed language where uh, scalars are essentially interchangeable and, you know, strings convert uh, to numbers and back uh, pretty much uh, seamlessly depending on the context. And we wanted it to plug in seamlessly into web servers. We wanted to make it web first. So we were not after creating a general purpose uh, language. Whenever there was any sort of conflict between creating something which is more specialized for the web workload or the, the web environment, we would uh, versus creating it uh, to be uh, more general purpose, we would opt for making it more web specific. And I think those are really the two early design decisions that uh, we have stuck by for a very long time. Another decision that we adopted relatively early on when uh, Peachy really started to gain popularity, and, and it really gained popularity beyond our wildest dreams. Uh, we, we didn't even know to dim it back then. So w- when it did, we wanted to create a language that was downwards compatible so that the, the huge workloads, the growing number of workloads th- that we're using it will not have to radically change. So that did make it's more difficult to fix some of the mistakes from the early days. But on the other hand, we have gigantic applications and application ecosystems that have grown on top of PHP. And I believe it's uh, it has a lot to do with that. Why did PHP get this reputation as being insecure? It's an interesting question. I think that I actually wrote a blog post about this uh, about probably 15 years ago. Uh, It has to do with several things. First of all, PHP did have its share of issues. Not not something which is kind of disproportional to the amount of code that is in it or the, the amount of popularity and eyes that are scrutinizing it. But of course, like any piece of software, especially open source software that is relatively easy to scrutinize, it had its share of real security issues. So that, there's that. I, I'm not going to deny it. I don't think there's any point in denying it. But actually, th- th- that list is not that long. Then there were, I think, at least two other things that uh, played a role in this uh, in this reputation. One is that there were some features which I would call misfeatures that made it all too easy for end users to create insecure code. And, you know, we, we could play the game where we would say, you know, it's the end user, the, the, the code author's fault, because they did not have to use this feature insecurely, or it's not the meant for for it's not meant for this use case, and so on and so forth. But I think that it's fair to take responsibility for that and say that things like a feature like like register globals or magic quotes and all sorts of other things that are today kind of buried in PHP's history, and rightfully so were just misfeatures that made it all too easy to create insecure applications. 
And then there was another thing, which uh, may sound a bit like an excuse, but I actually think it had the biggest role in creating the perception of insecurity for PHP. And that is the fact that in the early days, most of the popular PHP applications included the name PHP in their name. So things like PHP Nuke or PHP this or PHP that. And whenever these apps had security issues, and because they were becoming very popular, security issues were found. Just in, in people's minds, when you had PHP X or PHP Y uh, creating uh, uh, published vulnerabilities, in their mind, uh, it was linked with the language itself. Now, like I mentioned, part, partially it's uh, it's probably justified because in some cases, it, PHP made it all too easy to create insecure code, but a lot of it was actually not justified. And like in, in the same manner that not any security vulnerability that is found in, say, OpenSSH reflects badly on C, in the same way not any uh, vulnerability that was found in some popular PHP app had to necessarily reflect badly on PHP. Kind of another thing that I think played a role is that PHP was one of the first languages, maybe the first language, where by definition, almost any any application you created with it was remotely accessible. Because again, we we focused on the web workload and we designed it to be for the web and almost nobody used it outside of the context of of the web. And when you're creating a multi-accessible application, especially in the early days when the knowledge about how to create secure applications was really scarce, if there is a vulnerability, the likelihood that it would be found and exploited was a lot higher than a vulnerability in some, you know, app written in, in, in C or virtually any other language, because in other language, in other languages, they are not remotely accessible. They are not by definition web applications uh, that are remotely accessible, a lot of client code, a lot of administration code, and so on. So I think that also played a role, the fact that just uh, in terms of the environment, the, the web environment is simply hostile by definition. Anyone from anywhere on the planet can attempt to attack you and exploit uh, the vulnerabilities. So for sure, that was also the field in which we played had had a lot to do with it as well. There are a number of really large PHP applications that have scaled over time. Principally, I think about Facebook because I've done a lot of coverage of Facebook. Tell me your thoughts on the scalability techniques of some of these large Facebook or PHP apps. I guess there's also Slack. But what are your thoughts on the architectural choices and the um, the languages that have been built on top of PHP? So I can definitely. I mean, there's also Wikipedia, and there's uh, there's quite a lot of uh, like gigantic and WordPress, which virtually <laughs> powers the the content uh, side of the web. Yeah. So as far as PHP is concerned, our approach from the get go on, on on the low level was to create a, a sure nothing architecture. So essentially, this was definitely, if we go back 25 years into the past, in terms of looking at the technologies back then, the queen of the web back then was Perl. And there was Mod Perl for those who remember, which took Perl and made it a bit more, a bit faster than using in a web environment. But it was a bit messy. Essentially, uh, you had, w- when you're developing a Perl-based web application and running it on Mod Perl, you you needed to kind of account for things that generally I don't think that ideally a web developer should account for. So if you you needed to, for instance, clean resources at the end of 
handing a request. Uh, and if you didn't, then you could create all sorts of memory leaks or resource leaks, which in a, again, hostile web environment, it's hostile not just in terms of uh, the, the ability to exploit vulnerabilities, but also in terms of potentially the load that you need to be able to code against. And Perl was not really all that good in it, and it really left the, the burden for handling this to a large degree on the shoulders of the developers. We wanted to essentially make it possible for the developer to only focus on serving a single request at the end of serving the request at the beginning and at the end of serving this request, they don't have to worry about resources at all. Uh, whatever they used is going to get feed. That includes both memory and sources, database connections, file handles, and, and so on, uh, network connections, and so on. In the same manner, when they begin the request, they don't have to worry about, you know, do I have uh, some leftovers from a previous request? Everything is clean, and for the most part, when I say the most part, maybe sounds a bit of a, an understatement, but it really worked well. Uh, you, you really did not have to worry about it. And for a very long time, I think it scaled very nicely, and it allowed the, the kinds of applications that you mentioned, like uh, Facebook and, and Wikipedia and others, and WordPress and others, to, to really work and scale very nicely. The share nothing architecture made PHP a very good choice for creating scalable apps because the, the scale nothing part didn't work just at the request level. It also scaled nicely to, you know, beyond a single server. So you could have a single server that had, uh, I don't know, 100 PHP processes that could have uh, handle 100 concurrent requests. But when that was not sufficient, you could throw in another server, another server to scale pretty much linearly. Now, of course, you also had to potentially scale shared resources like the database. But as long as you had a solution, as long as your database was scalable, the PHP side of things rarely posed an issue and made your made scaling the application relatively uh, straightforward. I can't attest to how it is to deal with Facebook scale. Uh, I'll admit that. they Or for Wikipedia scale, for that matter, there's a lot of things that I'm sure they've done in terms of the management and so on. But at the fundamental level, PHP applications, because they encourage you to share nothing other than through uh, third-party systems like databases or you know web services, they scale very very nicely and very linearly, and we see this to uh, we see it to this date. I mentioned that th this worked really well for a very long time, uh, but I think maybe about five years ago, slightly more than that, uh, the model of uh, microservices became more and more pervasive, and it's PHP was admittedly less less geared toward that, less uh, less tuned towards that, because we always assumed that this fairly negligible overhead of th that is associated with starting up the process and then cleaning it up in the end, it's negligible compared to the runtime of the of the request, uh, because the request was typically did some meaningful processing and, and crunching and so on. Even if it took 300 milliseconds, it Still, uh, compared to uh, two, three millisecond initialization and maybe 10 millisecond cleanup at the end, those 10, 15 milliseconds of uh, initialization and cleanup were negligible. When you're dealing with a microservice that could, you know, its own runtime could only be 10 or 5 or 15 milliseconds, then suddenly this, uh, this, uh, this uh, initialization and uh, cleanup, which 
take roughly the same amount of time, they're no longer negligible. And then I think uh, models like uh, the modeling of Node.js uh, became a lot more popular. I, I still think that they are more complicated to develop for and they're less robust in terms of reliability. Uh, if, if a PeachWeek process caches, there will be zero influence for the overall stability of the server. If a Node.js process caches, the, the effect is a lot more substantial. But on the flip side, the, the Node.js model gives you the ability to handle a much larger number of connections and handle microservices a lot more efficiently. Thankfully, the, there's kind of there's a model that someone or, or a group of people has bought uh, this model also to PHP. So this is also why I kind of feel comfortable uh, mentioning that without kind of bashing PHP too hard, because today there's also the ability to choose this model for PHP using a, a component called Swool, and you can essentially do away with this complete isolation, the pair request isolation that has served us really well since the late 90s until recent years, you can do away with it and instead have a, a non-blocking I.O. approach where you are handling requests uh, a lot more efficiently um, if, if that is necessary. Mo both models are available today. Still, the, the traditional model is a lot more common and, and popular, but the alternative model, the Node.js-like model, is, is available and is going in popularity. So you now run, or you're the CTO of a company called Stratic. What programming languages choices are you making at Stratic? Are you are you all in on PHP? Actually, we're not. We obviously use PHP for the actually running WordPress, but WordPress is something that we only run at the back end and in, in kind of behind the wall. The folks who end up viewing websites that are hosted on static don't actually ever interact with WordPress directly, and consequently, they never actually interact directly with PHP. For the most part, like I mentioned, we, we run WordPress at the back end. Uh, the, our customers, the ones who are running those websites, they're using WordPress directly and, and PHP, and they use it pretty much traditionally in the same way that they would use it uh, anywhere else uh, to create content, uh, create new, update, and so on. But at the end, uh, when they want to publish this content for, for the world to see, they hit a publish button, we actually create a static version of the website, which at the end is 99% just uh, HTML and CSS and JavaScript and whatever static assets are, are needed to serve the site. In terms of what we use, this is really more of a cloud DevOps kind of system. And it's mostly built with uh, Node.js and with a tiny bit of Python, but really for the most part, Node.js. It's not a decision that I was actually involved with because I actually joined the company after much of this was already in place. But I think it's a valid choice when you're creating um, an application like this, which is very DevOpsy, not a lot of web content. And when we make extensive use of Lambdas, which unfortunately still don't have native support for, for PHP on, on Amazon, on AWS. I, I think that the choice is, is very valid to go with it. So I'd love to know a little bit more about your journey in the PHP world. You were the co-founder of Zend, which uh, built a lot of technologies around PHP. Um, what was the business model for Zend? So... 
I'll start slightly earlier to to get the you know how we got there. But basically, uh, when Andy Gutmans myself got involved in writing PHP, I mentioned this before. We 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 didn't really have any plans or even we didn't really imagine what's going to happen with it we certainly did not imagine that it would become uh, one of the most popular platforms for creating web applications in the world back then php2 was very small i mean it had probably something like 10,000 people were using it all around the world and fairly shortly after php3 was released we were talking about softly a million websites uh, that, that were using it and it go it grew really rapidly and to the point that we really didn't believe the numbers for a very long time until we realized that those numbers we had started getting numbers from all sorts of different directions independent directions we realized those numbers actually too in parallel to those numbers growing we started getting more and more requests from companies that were using uh, php we talk about again the late 90s or early 2000s and they wanted things that the open source version did not offer. I mean, namely, the ability to sell PHP-based applications without disclosing the source code, uh, the ability to manage uh, applications in, in, for, for business-critical uh, applications. Again, we because we didn't really have any special plans or imagination about what PHP is going to be used for, we really thought about it more of as a solution to create applications for, for personal purposes, but, you know, suddenly more and more companies were using it, and the ability to use it in a business-critical environment was somewhat limited. I mean, not in terms of licensing or anything, but just in terms of uh, support, a lot of companies would not really be able to use it, and developers will not be able to convince their managers to use it unless there was a company that provided commercial backing. So that's why um, towards the uh, the end of 99, we founded uh, Zen Technologies with uh, a fairly wide mandate to provide commercial backing for PHP and help proliferate it. We created uh, several things along this journey, both uh, software solutions to help manage PHP in a business-critical environment, uh, manage clusters of, of PHP, deployments of applications, performance uh, management, uh, performance boosting, uh, and all sorts of things like that. These solutions are available to this date and, and are uh, quite uh, commonly used in enterprise deployments of PHP. The fact, I think, that we provided commercial backing for PHP, both in terms of providing support, but also we really talked with a lot of uh, the largest companies in the industry, including IBM and Microsoft and uh, Red Hat and virtually uh, and Oracle and virtually all of the major players in this field to make PHP more acceptable. Because historically, PHP, some of it is related to what you mentioned in the security question. It enjoyed, quote unquote, the, the perception of a non-serious hacky solution for a long time. Some of it was justified, but a lot of it was not. And uh, and we worked really hard to make PHP acceptable and mainstream. And today, I mean, the fact that you can find PHP, for instance, on Google Cloud, it's a, it's, it's a deployment option. It's uh, available. Uh, it's supported. The divers of Oracle are supported by Oracle and not by the community. And Microsoft also supports PHP and has support for PHP on its cloud and, uh, and, and so on. These things did not just happen. Those had a lot to do with things that we did in Zend, proactively touching base with those companies and working with them to uh, both improve the technology on the platform, but also 
make it acceptable and mainstream and get the kind of seal of approval that users that were using Oracle or users that were using Windows Server and wanted to use PHP, they would see that the kind of main vendor approves of that and does not consider it to be some sort of a unsupported environment. Other things that we did over the years, I mean, we did a lot of things, but some of the things that are worth mentioning, we also worked on creating a framework that would be uh, would take advantage of some of the then uh, most uh, the newest and uh, most advanced features uh, of PHP 5. PHP 5 was the first version that really introduced object-oriented programming. And there was a bit of a, a vacuum in terms of, uh, in terms of a framework that people could use to develop apps on top of PHP instead of reinventing the wheel every time. So we also led the development uh, the, of the open source Zen framework, which is still, today it's called Namenas, it was renamed a couple of years ago, but it's still uh, a very uh, popular, back then it was perhaps the most popular enterprise framework for PHP, today it's one of the popular frameworks for PHP. And I think that too helped help PHP proliferate because it was one of the, it probably was the number one complaint that we heard from, from users that in terms of uh, interoperability and in terms of avoiding uh, having to invent the wheel every time, it was lacking. We're talking about already about a decade in, and still there wasn't a super popular framework uh, for for using PHP. So that too, I think, was important. In general, like I mentioned, the mandate was pretty wide. Anything that we could do to help proliferate PHP is something that we considered, and we acted on a lot of it as well. So... In modern software engineering, when do you think PHP is a good choice? Do you have any any framework in your head for what kinds of applications should or could choose PHP? It's an excellent question. I think in reality, the most honest answer for you would be that I don't. But it doesn't mean that there is no use case for PHP. I still think that uh, PHP is a good choice. I The millions and millions of developers that are using PHP and are familiar with PHP. And today, uh, with the performance gains that we've realized in recent years, and with the robustness of the solution, and uh, the fact that uh, we've introduced the ability to use it in a synchronous I.O., non-blocking I.O. kind of way. So in terms of what you can do with it, you can really do anything. In general, I've, from the get-go, even when we were kind of working hard to proliferate PHP, we were never kind of zealots uh, around it, and we were very open to, you know, people choosing w- uh, whatever they prefer to use. We thought that P- P- PHP had uh, some advantages over other languages, but in the end of the day, I think it's very much a personal preference. I still think that developing a, a web application that doesn't need to scale through the roof and Let's face it, in many cases, that's the case. And even if you think uh, two or five years in, you don't necessarily expect to be uh, to have to deal with uh, millions of concurrent users at a given time. Uh, most apps don't reach fa- Facebook scale. Then the traditional model that PHP offers that I mentioned earlier, uh, this uh, sure nothing approach, is by far the simplest and uh, fastest to develop with uh, compared to the Node.js or the Swool uh, approach that exists in PHP, which is equivalent. So for those use cases, I would recommend PHP hands down. I think it's the best solution and uh, the really few downsides to it. Another, another use case is that if you have a team or 
you yourself, depending on the nature of the project, and you have a lot of experience with it. I still think that uh, it's a very productive language. It's very fast. It can really scale well. And there's no real need to switch to something else. Where I think I would consider PHP as one of the options, but uh, not necessarily the only option, is really the super scalable applications where you need the asynchronous I.O. approach. And then I think some of the gains of PHP are diminished because it, I mean, the, the, the language syntax remains the same, but in terms of what it buys you, the, uh, the safety and simplicity that it buys you from an architectural perspective kind of goes away. And it's more of an apples to apples comparison with Node. And, and then with Node, Node is more popular than PHP on this front, hence down. I mean, for asynchronous I.O., there's a lot more support in Node than there is in PHP. Not so much to some degree in the code uh, itself in what it, they can do, but more so in terms of people who are using it and, and, and have experience using it in, in such an environment. So you can definitely find a lot more Node.js developers than you can find PHP Swole developers. So that, that can also play uh, a role in the decision. Like I mentioned, in static, uh, we do use Node.js for that purpose. And I'm not necessarily certain that if, if, if it was up to me to make the decision, as I mentioned, it, was, it happened before my time, but I'm not sure that I would have made a, a different decision. At the end of the day, I think that choosing a language is a very, very much an individual decision or, or matter of preference. I think that modern languages, if you go back uh, in time, then there were substantial differences in what you could or couldn't do with uh, different languages. Today, those differences have those, those gaps are really narrowed down, and it boils down to a lot of, to, a, to to a large degree to a matter of preference. So it's really up to individual choices or team choices uh, what they prefer to use. I'd like to go into some detail about the company that you're working on now, Stratic. Your company is is built to improve the uptime and performance of WordPress sites and to make WordPress sites static websites. Can you describe the thesis of Stratic? Yeah, so WordPress is by far the most popular web application in on, on the planet, essentially. Uh, it accounts, I think, uh, for something like 40% of the web, the whole web workload, just one app. And everyone, maybe with a small asterisk, but almost everyone is using it, or, or including anyone from you know someone creating their own website and all the way to the largest enterprises uh, in the world. So that is in terms of like two, uh, 20 seconds on what WordPress is. The problem with WordPress is that in terms of th th this application that was created something like 20 years ago, the architecture is such so that performance is a major issue. And even though plain vanilla WordPress, this thing that you just download and install, it's, uh, it's pretty fast, but... Nobody uses plain vanilla WordPress. You start installing plugins and you start creating complex uh, uh, custom code and so on. And most uh, real-world WordPress deployments are pretty slow. And there are all sorts of ways to tackle that, but it's considered a major pain point in the WordPress world. So that's one issue. The second issue is security. The LAMP stack, we, talk, we touched that earlier uh, a bit, 
the lamp stacking for that matter, and not just the lamp stack, but essentially any any stack that has programs running in response to end user requests that essentially uncode and process the request and generate a response, one way or another, they're potentially vulnerable to attacks, to attacks, to pretty bad attacks. Anything is vulnerable to some kind of attacks, but such uh, such systems that uh, generate responses on the fly, they're a lot more vulnerable to, to, to attacks, and those attacks can be pretty bad ones, including potentially hacking in and grabbing the data or changing the code, altering the code, and doing all sorts of bad things to people who visit the website and so on and so forth. So that's the second issue. And the third issue that exists with WordPress is scalability, which is kind of the cousin of performance, but not quite the same. If your website is really popular, even if it's uh, fast when just a few, a handful of people uh, visit it, if, you, if you're successful and suddenly a lot of people visit it, it's not that easy to scale it. Even though WordPress itself scales relatively nicely, there are other things, and including certain certain plugin considerations that you need to take into effect scaling the database and so on it's not inherently it's not something inherent or unique to wordpress but it's something that uh, that is complicated with scaling any dynamic application and wordpress has its own share of complexities the premise behind uh, static is to take all of these three complexities away so that performance would be super fast Regardless of what plugins you're using, essentially take this whole consideration away from you. Similarly, with security, factor out this all this, this all issue of a dynamic language that is dynamically processing the request and generating response on the fly. Factor it out and take it out of the equation. And thirdly, make it super scalable and essentially pretty much agnostic to the level of load that it's being subjected to. And the way we do it is simply by turning, I mean, of course, it's easier said than done, but simply, quote unquote, turning the WordPress from a dynamic LAMP-based application into a set of static assets, into a set of static files. We have the technology that uh, plugs into WordPress to determine which essentially map all of the pages that need to be publicly accessible and we then create replicas, static replicas of them. For the few things that require true dynamic handling, like you know, sending emails, you can't if there's a, a something on the website that uh, needs to send an email to process a form or, or really do something that, by definition, cannot be done statically, cannot be placed with a static uh, alternative. Uh, then we implement we implement this this uh, technology this procedures using lambdas using Amazon lambdas, and the result is essentially a set of static files that end users can communicate with. Can end users in this case I'm talking about the the people who are accessing the this, the website that is hosted on static. When they would be typing in the the address of the website. The browser will not be communicated communicating with WordPress on the back end, but rather just downloading static assets from a CDN. Of course, that means if I revisit those three issues that I mentioned uh, earlier, that would be really fast, a lot faster than having to wait for the page to be generated by PHP or for that matter, the other uh, dynamic platform. It's a lot more secure because the uh, attack surface is almost 
completely gone. I mean, usually most WordPress has a uh, WordPress and its plugins have uh, a lot of uh, vulnerabilities found uh, virtually almost every week. And when you turn it into static, virtually all of them are no longer relevant. You can't, there's no WordPress signing, there's nothing to communicate with, no uh, code to uh, punch a vulnerability through. And like I said, the attack, the attack surface is simply uh, almost exclusively gone. There's still some. There's still a set of certain client-side attacks that uh, you know uh, could be somehow waged against uh, even a static website. But for the most part, uh, the vast majority, north of 99% of the attacks, are simply rendered useless, rendered inoperable, and uh, impractical to to uh, perform. And thirdly, because this is a CDN, a set of static files, uh, then it's just as fast if uh, one person visits the site or if uh, thousands of people visit the website. Actually, in some cases, even faster because uh, it, it has a geographical distribution and the more people using, uh, say, I don't know, a website is popular in Brazil, then only the first uh, users that are uh, visiting the website in Brazil are going to have to wait for it to, to come over to the Brazilian POP. And after that, it's actually going to get faster for the rest of the users. So it actually gets faster the more it's, get, it's getting used, which is, well, exactly the kind of scalability they would want to have. So in a nutshell, that's what static is about. So how often do you convert the website in its dynamic form to a static form? Is it every time the user issues an update to the website you 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 pull a, a complete static copy of it yes i know generally we'd need to update the the copy of the website the static copy of the website every time there's a change and until not too long ago until a few months ago that was the only way to to do it today we made the uh, plugin technology that the technology that plugs into wordpress more intelligent and we actually know which parts of the website changed. So we have the ability to quick publish and only change, only sorry, publish those parts of the website that have changed. Uh, you still have the ability to force a full publish if you want to, uh, to be extra safe that we didn't miss anything. And another thing that uh, we're introducing is the ability to simply ask for a very specific page to be updated. If you don't want to even trust uh, or rely on our technology that detects what changed and you want uh, to essentially tell the system only this page changed because, I don't know, you fixed uh, you fixed a typo or something and you really don't want anything else to to have to change then you have you have the disabilities uh, as well and of course this reduces greatly reduces the amount of time you need to wait before your changes are uh, publicly available what have been the biggest engineering challenges of building the serverless static site generation tool that is stratic so First of all, I would say that it, I think it required a leap of faith to actually think that it's feasible to, to do, especially for me coming from my background where, you know, all about dynamic applications for the last 20 years, to really think that you can take a dynamic application like WordPress that literally generates everything from scratch on every request and you can actually transform it into into a, a, a server, uh, an offering that 
doesn't even have word percerning. I didn't mention it, but uh, when 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 uh, when you're not actually editing authoring content, the WordPress uh, container is is actually uh, not running at all. It's it's completely disabled, and the only thing that's alive are those you know set of uh, static assets and uh, and numbers. So to to make this leap of faith and imagine that this really is possible, that that's a pretty big step. I know it was for me when Miriam, the the founder and CEO contacted me uh, a few years back and kind of vent this idea by me, my initial reaction was that it's probably not feasible, <laughs> that it's uh, not, uh, I mean, you could po- probably do uh, 60%, but uh, the rest is going to be an uphill battle. So I had to make this uh, leap of faith myself as well. Uh, but fortunately, I, she convinced me that she believed that it, it was possible, and it is, and it's not it's not that you can do anything. There are some things that are super dynamic and inherently dynamic that cannot, that don't translate well into this uh, model. But since we're dealing with a huge uh, market and a huge uh, user base, even if we can uh, cater to 80%, 80 or 85% of the deployments, which I think is very reasonable, it can still be a very successful solution that will bring a lot of good for this uh, for this community, for this ecosystem. In terms of the, the technology assets, other you know, one thing was to create everything in a completely scalable way. It was static was created from the ground up as a as a service, as a as a cloud service that is completely scalable and really. Everything. This is actually something that I personally did not have that much experience with, uh, because I always kind of worked on the infrastructure for creating web apps, but I didn't actually create a very large scale application that uh, has a lot of different moving parts, and all of them need to scale. Uh, it was interesting for me to to see to, to be involved in that and see how it can be done. Of course, use those uh, assets that uh, today are kind of. Household items at the disposal of uh, every uh, every modern developer, uh, all of the AWS uh, or, for that matter, cloud services that you can use. So, getting something which is super scalable was one of the challenges. I think another challenge that we have is is ongoing. Basically, WordPress is not one thing. It's not that we can say that we support WordPress and we're done. It's an ecosystem, and it has tens of thousands of plugins and a lot of plugins that are actually being used. So it's not that uh, that there are like, I don't know, 50,000 plugins and 49,900 49, of them are not being used. A lot of them are being used. And we need to be able to ensure that we work with uh, all of them, or at least most of popular ones. So that is something which is an ongoing challenge to make our system more and more compatible with more and more plugins. But I'm I'm, I'm happy to say that we've already reached uh, the, the point where we've had a lot of users that onboarded themselves. So that, you know, they basically open an, uh, a tile account, migrated to static, it worked, and they, you know, put in the credit card and started using it. Something that honestly took us a lot less time than I envisioned it would. It means that already our, our solution is sufficiently generic and supports a sufficient amount of uh, plugins that a lot of people will just be able to onboard themselves. But still, when we have uh, new enterprises that are joining in, it's not uncommon for us to have to tweak the solution and, and add support for uh, new plugins that are not currently supported. I think there are a lot of different directions we can go into the, fu- uh, we, we can go into the future with all sorts of uh, potentially using artificial intelligence and, and, and potentially machine learning to do some of that automatically. It's still something that is kind of a long-term 
vision and not necessarily something that we're working on and going to do tomorrow morning. But I, I think there are a lot of interesting challenges as we would want to make this uh, solution applicable to more and more different kinds of uh, deployments, then uh, we would probably also need to involve some more advanced technologies as we go along. Cool. Where, uh, Zev, do you want to add anything about the future of the PHP ecosystem or any thoughts about the future of software in general? On, on the PHP side, I can say that uh, with, uh, with a bit of a... I'm a bit conflicted about it because I think PHP in recent years has taken a bit of a change in direction. And if we look uh, at its roots, it was really about making it possible to create fairly complex web applications in simple ways and providing developers with simple ways to, to create it. In recent years, uh, the direction changed and you know, less emphasis on simplicity, more emphasis on thickness and advanced uh, language structures that are applicable, in my opinion, to a relatively small subset of the user base. At the same time, also, things like downwards compatibility have started playing a much less big of a role in, in the decision-making process of, of the, the, the folks who are stealing the language nowadays. It's uh, I have to mention that it's a very open environment, and even though I'm one of the main folks who created in the first place, today, essentially anyone who wants to can relatively easily get involved with the decision-making process of PHP. And most of the people that do get involved are the people that are probably unhappy with the, the way it is now, because otherwise they not necessarily uh, wouldn't have necessarily gotten involved. And it shows. It's being transformed to a more strict and less downwards compatible language. PHP 8 that was released a couple of months ago is even described as uh, by legacy users. And by legacy users, I mean mostly everyone, you know, people who use WordPress, people who use all sorts of uh, uh, pieces of uh, software that are using, that are dependent or uh, based on PHP. It's described by some of them as a nightmare because essentially downloads compatibility played a very secondary role in the decision-making process. And a lot of there's a lot of work that needs to be done, for instance, on WordPress before it can run on the latest version of PHP, which is unprecedented. We've had downloads compatibility packages before, but never to that point and never without a very strong justification that went beyond kind of a change of taste. Hoping I'm, I'm no longer uh, directly involved with the development of PHP itself. I'm, I've been involved until not too long ago. So the JIT engine that went into PHP 8 is something that I was involved with. Dmitry Stogov was the lead uh, developer that created this uh, pretty magnificent piece of code that makes PHP 8 tick a lot faster than uh, previous versions was in, in my team in, at Zend. Uh, before I uh, joined Static. But I'm, I'm no longer involved in the day-to-day -day, uh, development of PHP. I'm hopeful that the feedback that is being generated by the user base of PHP will resonate with uh, the folks who are leading the, the development of PHP nowadays and so that they will continue on one hand making PHP more and more advanced but not at the expense of uh, essentially make it more complex and bake the stability that we've uh, become kind of uh, known for for the last 20, 25 years. So, like I said, I'm a bit conflicted about it. I'm hopeful. I, I think that the feedback that is being generated from users, people are listening to it, uh, the, but, but maybe not enough. And I'm encouraging 
users, the end users, who, in my opinion, the real owners of PHP, if they think that uh, PHP needs to tweak its direction, make their voices heard. Because internals, this uh, area, this uh, mailing list, mailing list where the decisions and the direction for the future versions of PHP is being taken, it doesn't have a sufficient amount of representation from kind of mere mortal quote-unquote users. And I think that this is something that ideally we need to change. So I'm really encouraging users, even if they are not uh, contributors to PHP, in my opinion, they own PHP just as much as uh, the contributors do, and it's theirs just as much as it is the contributors, and they should make their voices heard. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for the time.